welcome to another Twitter Spaces on Friday. Uh, so this week we are analyzing the results of Safaricom, who just reported the financial year 21-22 results uh, yesterday. And today we are honored to have uh, really wonderful guests here to discuss the results that came out. I wanted to remind us that usually on Fridays we have these conversations around topical issues in the capital markets. And as it so happens, actually this week is our first year kind of anniversary since we started doing Spaces. And so we've done between 50 and a hundred spaces during the space of the last one year. It's such an honor. And I think we started off with uh, discussing Safaricom last year. And again, like our anniversary week, at least we get to discuss again Safaricom. So thanks for the team that has been helping put together some of the spaces. We've uh, been able to host Sakai. I was checking today, we hosted 10 to 15 CEOs from listed companies. So hopefully in the near future, we'll be able like to have the, the CEO Safaricom himself come to address uh, some of the key issues. But we did attend the analysts call yesterday and partly also attended the earnings call itself. We picked up a lot of insights. So we'll be able to share. We've pinned a tweet which has all, all the details about these spaces. So if you want to participate, kindly go below the pinned tweet, just write your questions there and we'll be able to answer them. Another way to participate is also to send us a DM. We'll definitely be on the lookout for some of the questions. And finally, maybe after 45 minutes, we can get a few people to come and ask a few questions. So first, I'll allow my guests to introduce themselves. I'll start with uh, someone who's been here before, uh, Silha. You can introduce yourself once again to the audience and say what you do and how the week has been so far for you. Thanks. I thought we would start with ladies first, but I'll go ahead. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on your one-year anniversary. My name is Silha. I work as an analyst at EFG Hermes in the Kenya office, um, looking at telcos and energy stocks. And it's been an exciting week. I think earnings season is, is always something we look forward to as analysts to better evaluate the companies we're following and reevaluate the outlook for, for some of these businesses. So exciting and busy week, but all good, all the same. Thanks. Yes, thank you, Sila. I think you're only here for an hour, so we'll max out your hour of being present with us. So ladies, now we'll start with uh, Lisa and then Kalkida. Lisa, you can introduce yourself. Thank you, Mokaya. I'm Lisa Kimaki. I've been in the financial markets for over nine years now, maybe close to 10. So currently, I'm a stock market analyst. Uh, I analyze uh, the telecommunications sector, some energy, EABL, and BAT. So basically just reviewing their performance and giving valuation updates. I've previously also worked with private equity firms in advisory and in investor relations. And it's a pleasure to be here. This is also a first for me, and I hope it goes very well. And also, Mokaya, congratulations on your milestones on Mwango. You've really gone a long way in financial literacy. Yes. Thank you. Good evening from Addis Ababa. My name is Kalkida and I am excited to be here uh, to learn and to give my experience. I am the general manager of Clear Skies Technology, a company that we founded about five years ago here in Addis Ababa. And we work in the value added services space in telecoms, as well as with local businesses, helping them leverage their mobile technology services. Thank you again and happy anniversary. Willis, over to you now. My name is Willis Oviti. I'm a, an engineer by profession. I've worked in the telecom industry for now more than uh, 10 years. And I've been in close collaboration with all the telco firms in Kenya, which is Telcom, Airtel, Safaricom, and also formerly you. How my week has been, my week has been good. 
so far at least uh, we got to hear about the Safaricom results, what they are planning to do, and also some of the banks like equity to mango for the one year. Thanks, Willis. I will come to you, especially on the engineering and technical questions. So first, we'll start with the analysts and then move over to the engineer and our person on the ground in Ethiopia. We'll start with Lisa. You can give a brief overview for someone who's joined us maybe for the first time, uh, a brief overview of Safaricom as a company itself. Okay, Safaricom is mainly a telecommunications company. So basically enabling communication via phone, both mobile and fixed. So, of course, their leaning has been more mobile than fixed communication. Uh, and they offer voice, um, SMS services. And, of course, now they've grown into offering data services and M-Pesa. But also what we're seeing with Safaricom is they are growing beyond now the telecommunications uh, space that they've always occupied. And they are going into more of a fintech and a technology company focusing more on what the MPESA platform can do and other ICT offerings like cloud services and, and the rest. I hope that is a good enough summary. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, I wanted to ask also, what are the, the segments of the company itself and the business model by which it operates uh, in Kenya? So Safaricoms actually um, has a parent farm in in UK, Vodafone. That, I think that's where it got most of its tech expertise. So somewhat it started within telecom and over time, uh, so what we're seeing, it's partly owned by government and largely owned also by Vodafone. And so their revenue lines fall under voice, SMS, M-Pesa and data. And generally what we've seen over time is that uh, voice has always been the key player for Safaricom calls. I mean, calls and SMS. But as I mentioned, this is a transitioning and what we're seeing is at this point, M-Pesa is actually accounting for 38% of their revenue, which means M-Pesa is actually outgrowing the telecommunications business. I'll switch over to Silha, maybe to give us a bit of uh, an overview of yesterday's results uh, in perspective of what you've spoken about in the business model and the various segments. Thanks, Mukai. No, just focusing on the results that were published yesterday. As Lisa has mentioned, this is clearly a business in the process of evolving from the telco into more of a technology platform provider. And I think it's becoming clear that the, the biggest platform that they have is M-Pesa as an enabler for financial services. So from the results yesterday, I think from the Kenya business perspective, they were in line with expectations. You had strong growth in M-Pesa revenues up about 30% um, year on year, which we have to look at in context of the low base effect from last year when they couldn't charge for certain bands of P2P transactions below 1,000. And so that was a big driver of, of the recovery in M-Pesa revenues. If we go down to the cost and margin elements, margin slightly declined on an EBITDA level as they included costs from the Ethiopia operations. And earnings, to some slight disappointment, EPS was down. I mean, EPS grew slightly, about 1.4%. Our key takeaway was that for the Kenya business, it's mature, it's steady, it's performing in line with expectations. We were quite surprised at the extent that Ethiopia Opco was able to drag down the numbers, especially on a PNL perspective. We would be curious to reevaluate the business and see what that means for Safaricom going forward. But overall, from an investment case perspective, this still is a high return business. Return on equity and return on invested capital remain among the highest within this sector. And that's encouraging for Safaricom. And in summary, the results were 
quite a mixed bag, in our opinion. Steady performance in Kenya, but quite a surprise, the degree of costs coming out for Ethiopia, especially be- before commercial launch of operation. To double-click on that, they've guided on CapEx that includes Ethiopia of around double, almost 2.5, the kind of capital expenditure they've been expending the past year. Does that worry you for a company that's entering a new market and it's spending almost 60 billion, if I remember correctly, they're spending around 40 to 43 billion in Kenya in terms of CapEx. And then if you look at CapEx in uh, in Ethiopia, it's guided at around 60 billion or so. Does that uh, worry you or concern you? Not exactly for a couple of reasons. In, in our view, going into a greenfield operation like Safaricom Ethiopia is you're likely to front load your capital expenditures for a number of reasons, just to uh, increase the capacity to roll out of a broader part of the population in Ethiopia or regionally. And secondly, you, you need to be competitive in the initial phases of your launch. So you're likely to front load CapEx in order to improve your competitiveness from the get-go. When we think about similar operators that have gone into new markets, one case study we did was MTN in Nigeria. And what you'd find is when they first got the GSM license, there's a big jump in terms of subscriber acquisition. And so you need to have the capacity to accommodate such an increase or rapid growth in subscribers in the initial years of operation. So, so it doesn't really concern me. I think it's expected that you don't load CapEx and try and put yourself in the best competitive position in the new market. All right, I'll come back to you. Let me move over to Kalkida. You can give us a little bit of perspective on the ground in Ethiopia on how, how the reception has been for a new entrant like Safaricom. Uh, and I, I know when we were speaking a little earlier, one of the things I shared was that when I meet Ethiopians, they're very loyal to their local brands and the, the country itself, even those who live abroad. So how does that play uh, into the mindset of Safaricom who is launching in a new market? What would you say are the key things that you've noticed in the launch and maybe in the run-up to their commercial launch later this year? Thanks, Mokaya. I think I would say it's a mixed bag for those of us who are in the industry and are well-versed on what a... A new entrance, especially one like uh, Safaricom, could possibly do both to our economy and to just providing jobs and the triple effect in itself. It's exciting. However, one thing that I've been surprised by, and I've, I've also mentioned to some of the leadership in Safaricom Ethiopia, is I think Safaricom Ethiopia could do with a lot more marketing. If some of you may remember about four years ago, when the now prime minister came into power, he had announced that there would be the privatization of the telecom sector. And you know how you communicate that is very important because a lot of the, the public assumes that if your telecom was privatized by Safaricom coming in. So there's a lot of confusion. And so when I speak to members of my family or just people who are not in the sector, a lot of times they're confused and they say, wait, did we sell, we call it tele here. If your telecom, did we sell tele? And I just have to keep explaining, no, 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 this is competition. This is healthy for us. This is good. But there is definitely a lot of work that needs to be done in just sensitizing the market as to who Safaricom is and that if your telecom will still be in operations and will have a competitor. So I think that in itself, we just need to do a bit more work on Safaricom's in sensitizing the public. However, 
folks at Ethio Telecom are very aware. If you've been following the news, you know that they launched 5G this week, which for a lot of us is unprecedented. We had never expected to see this kind of progress on, on their end. So there's definitely an awareness from the leadership on Ethio Telecom side and just trying to put their best foot forward, which ultimately the consumer will benefit from, from this competition. So I'd say a lot of sensitization needs to be done. I, I can't say that a lot of the public truly understand that this giant from Kenya is now in Ethiopia. The effects of, I'm sure you may know that Ethio Telecom launched uh, Telebr, which is Ethio Telecom's mobile money about a year ago in June of last year. However, there are subscribers, but it's not active subscribers yet. So they haven't really felt the effects of what would a competition to Telebr mean? Because Telebr really hasn't sifted to the public. Those are some of my initial thoughts on Safaricom here in Ethiopia. A quick question also, who are the players sure. there uh, in the market, apart from Safaricom now, who's the new entrant? So it's just Ethio Telecom which has been around for about 128 years. I think we were the first telecom in Africa, which is government-owned. It's fully government-owned. And yeah, so there was supposed to be a third player, but the uh, Ministry of Finance put that on hold. There's talk that they might float a third license, but as of right now, we just have one telecom, one ISP in Ethiopia. Great. Now over to Willis. Willis, maybe you can give us an engineer's perspective on uh, kind of a launching in a new market and what it takes to launch. And from working with the various telcos, what's your experience been in terms of why they're not able to topple Safaricom in this in this market? Willis? Now, one thing that has the advantage of is that they've been working in a liberalized market, which is a Kenyan market, so there's been competition. Then number two, they have the advantage that they've since they have a bigger partner called the uh, Vodafone, whom they can leverage on in terms of, uh, for example, getting cheap finances and uh, expertise in terms of setting up. Because if I can remember very well, when Safaricom was starting here in 2000, when Vodafone bought the 40%, Vodafone had to send some expatriates who had to come here and uh, assist uh, Safaricom to set up the network at a much faster rate because at that time there was still no local expertise that had been here for setting up the network. Going to now Ethiopia, now what Safaricom will need to set up, uh, I think it has been the news. They've already set up uh, two data centers. The, the purpose of the data centers is that uh, that's where they're going to be hosting their equipments and the servers, for example, for M-Pesa, their core equipment, be hosted at the data center. Then they've also leased the office where the staff are going to be seated. The two data centers that they've set up is that uh, one is the redundant of the other, so that in case you have a power outage, or something like an equipment failure, your customers do not go offline. The second thing now they are going to launch is, uh, I saw them signing a partnership with the Ethio Power, Ethiopia Electric Power. This is for leasing the fibers that the Ethiopia Electric Power has. This is majorly for their data networks, because as the technology of now, the 4G and the 5G, it will be next to impossible to push that traffic on a microwave link because of a capacity constraints. So that's why they had to go and sign a partnership with the Electric Power, which gives them a faster rollout to set up their sites and to provide the services. The third thing that they are going to set up, I see, is the towers, which they say part of the some of the towers, they are going to build on their own. Some of the towers they are going to, they wanted to do an infrastructure sharing with the Ethiotel, but uh, apparently there's been uh, some back and forth in that Ethiotel was reluctant to, to allow that infrastructure sharing because they know that once they start sharing the infrastructure with the Safaricom, 
Safaricom will have an edge in that. They can now uh, roll out faster and they also be able to catch up with Utotel, which Utotel is right now trying to be ahead of Safaricom because they know of their competition. This one, I think they had to go up to the Ethiopia Communication Authority for some uh, intervention where they're now into an agreement they're in talking discussions on how to do the infrastructure sharing. Now, the fourth thing that they're going to need now is the actual equipment, which is the 2Gs and the 3Gs and the 4G equipment, which from the investor briefing I had, they said they're going to spend about 390 million to 400 million just to ship in those equipments for the 3G and the 4G equipment that they will need to roll out the network. Then there's also, the last thing they also need is the retail network. We'll, where a customer will be going to in case they will have a problem with their phone, they want to buy a SIM card, they want this and that, which is what is needed now to roll out the network. So probably like from the analysis, I thought, okay, this time they said their infrastructure spending was about 10 billion. But this coming year, if they are now to do a full rollout, they'll spend, about, it will be about 50 billion Kenya shillings. Just to do the rollout of the network. It seems like Safaricom now is uh, having the feel of being on the other side of the deal where they are now not the incumbent. And so it will be interesting to see how that plays out. So back to Silha again. Uh, Silha, maybe you can put a little bit of context to how Safaricom versus peers around the continent. How do they rank? I know like they've been for a long time a single player in a single market. And so then like, how does that work out for them going into a uh, different uh, market and how has that worked out for other companies that have tried to do the same? Thanks, Fokar. Just looking across the continent, you could say we have about three major telcos. That's Vodacom, MTN, and Airtel Africa. And so Safaricom and uh, Vodacom from a shareholding perspective. And so Vodacom has experience in operating in multiple geographies, um, so to speak. But this will be the first time that Safaricom is directly expanding beyond Kenya's borders. But I think there's a lot of experience and expertise um, that they'll, they'll be able to learn through their common shareholding with Vodacom. In terms of structure, what we've seen is that most of these multinational operators sort of register local subsidiaries, which is similar to a to what Safaricom has done through the Safaricom Ethiopia Opco. And that way you're sort of able to measure the performance in country and then consolidate the numbers. And I think that really puts management's focus on making each operation profitable. And so how Safaricom has compared relatively, I think from a telco perspective, it's always been an outlier simply because of the contribution and the power of M-Pesa in its business model. For a long time, that's been unique to Safaricom relative to other telcos where the mobile money business is not as significant. And you can see that in Safaricom's return profiles. So relative to telcos across Africa, you'll find that has generated higher return on equity, higher return on invested capital, and its moat has always been mobile money. So it's going to be, you know, quite an execution risk for Safaricom management to then successfully break into a new market. But I think that the shared knowledge through the consortium works to their benefit in terms of understanding the, the critical success factors when trying to compete against an incumbent in a new market. So overall, I would say that Safaricom has been ahead of its game in terms of being a leading franchise and, uh, and then understanding 
the evolution of the sector from voice to data to mobile financial services. And if they can execute in that trajectory, as well as they've done in Kenya, then it's good prospects for Ethiopia to offer the Kenya business, which is relatively mature. Ethiopia actually offers another leg of growth for the next 10 to 15 years. So I think it will come down to execution. Great. Uh, in terms of margin profile, what's a typical telco profit or EBITDA margin looking like? Yeah, so since around 2018-19, margins have been uplifted as they progress more into data and other value-added services on top of data. So you could include digital services, content, and financial services. Margins across the board as on an EBITDA basis are around 50%. I would say 48 to 52% range. And so Safaricom at 50% EBITDA margin is very much in line with the industry at the moment. I would have to mention that to get to this point, one key operational difference that Safaricom has relative to other telcos in Africa is that they still own their own infrastructure, the towers, etc. So a lot of Telcos have gone into an operator-only model where they lease infrastructure and provide their underlying services. And what that means from a margin perspective is that since 2019, accounting for leases was changed so that now it's below the line as part of your financing costs. And because of that, she saw that margin uplift across the sector where now most telcos are as I said, between 49 and 52% margin. So it's still strong because owning infrastructure and delivering 50% margin, there's that critical difference in their operating model relative to, to the peers in Africa. And then if you go to the bottom line, how does that look like? Because I think from my small analysis, I noticed that the margins are around 27% and then they declined to 22%. Am I right there in thinking around that? So like for every shilling they're making in revenue, around 2.5 is flowing straight uh, to the bottom of the profit and loss statement, right? That's correct. About 20% margin. How does that compare? I would say it's still strong. So just looking at some of the MTN subsidiaries, it's between 15 and 18% net income margin. I would say that, that one of the standout factors for Safaricom as an investment is really the ability to deliver superior margins. Even as other telcos are growing faster, and that, that could be one of the concerns on the stock price, is that you're valuing Safaricom as a growth stock. But if you compare its growth relative to other tel telcos in Africa, it's relatively mature because Airtel Africa, MTN, they're growing at high double dig digits from a growth perspective. But on returns, on margins, as you've mentioned, Safaricom remains one of the strongest franchises from a margin and return perspective. But then also customers complain because of the high prices they charged. Uh, do you think that's a valid concern in terms of longevity? I always wonder, though, why don't people move to competing products, especially, say, Airtel, and they've tried to rebrand a couple of times uh, to keep up uh, with them, but they somehow never do. Uh, and then also the, lately there have been these attempts to have uh, something like the mobile ter uh, termination rates maybe uh, lowered so that the other networks can assess Safaricom as a cheaper rate. 
So I'm not so sure, like, why haven't they really been able to uh, to overcome Safaricom's, uh, even though Safaricom prices does most of their services at, at, at a premium or, or at charging at a higher rate than the rest? Thanks. So I'll, I'll try to answer that question in two parts. So beginning with the pricing element, I do think it's a concern, not detrimental to its financial performance at the moment, but one of the, the services that we look at closely is mobile data. But if I was to take you three years back, Safaricom's revenues were driven by data and, and, and M-Pesa. Where we are currently with data growing by 8%, it's not really a, a critical revenue driver at this time. And, and where, when we sort of unpack that and try and understand what are the underlying drivers for mobile data revenues, we sort of look at three core levers. Um, the first is subscriber acquisition, which has been growing or strong, growing by about on average 2 million new active data subscribers each year. So that's okay. The other is your usage rates. So, so how much or, or how many MB, MBs is the average subscriber consuming each month? And how is that growing over time? It's still been growing at high double digits. So that's strong. And the third level for data is pricing. And so this is really where the challenge is. If you look at the past five years to date, data has really been on a negative price cycle. So each year you have to lower your prices, lower your prices, and lower your prices. They still have the advantage of a high market share, but I don't think that price direction is going to change. And that sort of feeds into why customers are sticky. In my view, I think the reason for that stickiness is first, I think for Safari, for a long time, they had an advantage in terms of coverage. So the consistent investment in network infrastructure to cover a large proportion of the, of the population means that your network is more reliable relative to competition for starters. And then secondly, it, it comes down to value added services. And there's nothing better than Mpesa to keep people on your network. So in as much as Kenya and other African markets are sort of dual SIM economies, where people can take advantage of cheap data rates on one network, people will always stick to Safaricom because there's no substitute product for M-Pesa as well. So I think value-added services really contribute to the stickiness of subscribers on, on Safaricom. So Willis, in terms of M-Pesa, what's your take on the spin-off perspective? Uh, because there's been a lot of clamoring for a spin-off of M-Pesa and putting it as a separate company and maybe having a subsidiary. Do you feel like it's time to spin it off? Now, if you look at the companies that have been doing the spin-off of their mobile money, let me start with the Airtel Africa. Actually, Airtel Africa had to spin off the mobile money because they actually needed money to pay down some of the debt, which was really disturbing their books. And, you know, the telco industries are very capital intensive in that. Once you put your equipment, they normally the lifespan is normally about five years. So after five years, you'll need maybe to change some of the equipments. The Airtel Africa needed the money to pay down the debt so that it gives them room their network. If you come to MTN, MTN also has decided to spin off the mobile money because MTN is looking to sell some of the assets to get money for investment in 5G. 5G is going to be actually very expensive as compared to 4G because we, as opposed to 4G, when these telcos were rolling out 4G, they were able to reuse some of the equipments like antennas for 3G to roll out 4G. But now when it comes to 5G, 
it's like you're setting up a new complete uh, network from scratch, apart from the towers and probably the transmission. So they actually, they need this money so that they are ahead of the game. So that's why you find that the likes of MTN and Airtel Africa have been uh, spinning off their mobile money. While for Safaricom, they still don't see the need that they have to now start selling assets to fund some of the operations. That's why they're very cagey on uh, the issue of uh, spinning off the mobile money. Because they're going to ask you now, yes, we're going to spin it off. What are you going to do with the money? And actually, right now, if you look at uh, their subsidiary, because they own 50% and they have 50% of uh, M-Pesa. And, la and lastly, if you look at the, as a, as a whole, the Vodafone group is not known for selling some of their assets. Uh, is not known to be selling assets. They, their preference is, so you'll find like they own the towers, they own the infrastructure cables, they own this and that. So I don't think it, unless now probably there's a change from the top at Vodafone level, then probably Safaricom may decide to spin off the MPS subsidiary or MPS branch. Funny thing is, I've attended just a couple of Vodafone, I think, earnings calls. And I think last year there was a suggestion that they may think about it by night right now. I wanted to get some perspective from Lisa and then from Kalkidan on the same. And for Kalkidan, I'll ask you to maybe give us a, a little bit of comparative analysis. Uh, you've lived in Kenya and you've lived in Ethiopia. What can M-Pesa do in Ethiopia? So we'll start with Lisa first on the same perspective of M-Pesa value addition and uh, spin-off. Thanks, Makaya. So... On the spin-off, yes, I do agree with Willis in terms of we saw Airtel and MTN spinning off mainly because they need the money, especially in the case of Airtel. But also in terms of whether Safaricom will consider it, I think they are considering it. And I think the same Vodacom call that you've mentioned, I was on it. And before then, even Safaricom management had hinted at it. They would look at it. Definitely not something that's urgent. They don't need to spin off M-Pesa right now. But at the rate at which M-Pesa is growing way beyond the telecom business, it's really turning into a fintech. There'll be more of sort of banking regulations on it, more than the telco side. And then also the aspect of M-Pesa Africa that Safaricom and Vodacom bought from Vodafone. You can actually see M-Pesa Africa being an entity all on its own. And then maybe now riding on the telco networks of the other Vodacom players and on Safaricom, so I do think it's very likely, it won't be immediate, but M-Pesa Africa will eventually have to be uh, spun off from the telco business and be an entity on its own. They may not seek additional investment, additional shareholding into the M-Pesa Africa entity. They could just initially separate the entity, but it will give them much more room to explore the fintech side. Yeah, so I do think eventually they will spin it off. Also, I feel that they don't want it to be forced by regulation. They want to do it in their own time. Also, why they're fighting the bill that's in parliament, forcing the split. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to say something on that. I, I think it's inevitable. And we might be misjudging how much time they have to do this. And I'm just thinking about it from a five-year perspective. So strategically, the more the telcos do what they're doing now, which is increasing 4G high-speed data coverage, 4G, 5G across the continent, the number of smartphones or smartphone penetration on average about 50%, but it's going to go higher. The more you have access to smart devices and access to high-speed data, you actually open up the mobile financial service industry to more local and international competition. 
And so when you think about the strategic objectives for M-Pesa Africa as a fintech, it's becoming increasingly divergent to the strategic objectives of the telco. And when you, you look at the competitive dynamics in fintech, you have a lot of pure fintech players that are funded by private equity or venture capital money. And those investors think differently about burning cash in order to gain market share. So the competitive dynamics could change quite fast. In my view, Mpesa Africa needs to be very cognizant of that in order not only to protect the gains they've made over the years, but actually put themselves in a position where they can expand beyond Kenya, you know, do Ethiopia, but still be competitive enough from a fintech perspective, the technology, the products, the user interface, so that regardless of the competition that's going to come eventually when you have most of these financial services offered on an app basis, then you can still effectively compete in that environment, as opposed to just being too focused on the competitive advantage you have now as a GSM owner, you own the customer, but that could change very quickly. And so I think the technology side of things, the approach they have is correct. Focus on the technology for now, but I think you need to have people in there and investors behind M-Pesa that understand what it will take in the future to, re to remain as competitive as they are now. I'll come back to you on, on, the, on, a, on a question. Perhaps you can think about it in the meantime as Kalkidan talks about it. What would a spin-off of M-Pesa look like? How would that be structured? And then what would be the relationship like with the parent company? In the meantime, Kalkidan, maybe you can give us your perspective in terms of the differences you've seen on M-Pesa in Kenya and maybe something that we don't appreciate that you've seen uh, that is needed perhaps in Ethiopia by Safaricom establishing M-Pesa itself there? So I think the possibilities of M-Pesa in Ethiopia are massive. And I just want to share some statistics for those who don't know. Ethiopia is the second most populous nation in Africa with about 116 million people, but probably has one of the lowest penetration rate of financial services. So according to the National Bank of Ethiopia, which is our finance regulator, they say that financial inclusion stands at about 35% of the population. And the financial inclusion in Ethiopia is bank-led. So, and most of these banks are based in the capital city of Addis Ababa. So about, I think the National Bank website say about 40% of bank branches are here in, in Addis Ababa. And then if you look at sort of, if your telecom statistics as of January, 2022, they boast about 16 million subscribers. And that's not active subscribers, but total subscribers with about 23.4 million data and internet users. So I think we just have to appreciate the massive opportunity that there is. And regardless of the challenges that we have as a country and, and how much work there needs to be done, there's still a huge opportunity. Of course, in Kenya, I lived there, I grew up there. It's very clear to see what M-Pesa has done for a lot of small businesses. It's played its part as an anchor company to a lot of SMEs. It's helped improve government service and it's helped spur a lot of innovation. So we expect that to be the minimum that will be replicated here in Ethiopia. But one of the things that I found interesting, I want to say around end of March, the Safaricom Ethiopia team took 
the National Bank of Ethiopia on a sort of uh, trade visit or a business visit to both Kenya and Tanzania to gain insights on mobile money operations. One thing that most of you may or may not know is that our financial uh, sector is closed here in Ethiopia. So we don't have any international banks that are operational here. And so I think part of this trip that Safaricom Ethiopia did with National Bank of Ethiopia is just to really give real life insights to how mobile money has changed lives, has changed businesses. And one thing I appreciate is also the visit to Tanzania because a lot of times the example of Kenya can be overused. And in Kenya, Safaricom is the dominant mobile money player. But going to a country like Tanzania, I think was really good to see a country that has three telco players, that has Airtel Money, it has offers and Pesa, and I believe Tigo. And just to see real life examples of how telcos have been able to change the economy and just offer businesses lifelines and opportunities for, for the youth. And one thing I always say is that government doesn't change its policy because it wants to. A lot of times it's businesses that change or help provide use cases for government to change its policy. And for a lot of us who live here and do business here, or at least let me speak for myself, we see the need of opening up our financial sector. Of course, it has to be done in the right way. Living in Kenya, I've seen how easy it is to pay for anything in a different country. Whereas here, I can't send money out. I can't send dollars out. As a business owner, that presents a lot of challenges. So even in the minimum, I really appreciate what the, the entrance of Safaricom Ethiopia here, and they're hoping to get their financial license to operate M-Pesa very soon. But obviously, that's going to have a ripple effect on the economy and just being able to have better quality players in, in the system. I mean, we've had a lot of local innovators that are here, but I think we're really looking forward to also learning and growing. And of course, you cannot escape mentioning the massive job opportunities. So a quick question to you also in, in terms of the Ethiopian experience. One risk that has been highlighted, of course, is the FX risk in Ethiopia for Safaricom. And as a business person who operates in the country and also you come across to Kenya all the time, what's been your experience with FX uh, risk over there? And how's the political situation also in Ethiopia? We hear a lot about war and the crisis in Ethiopia. So perhaps you can speak about that a little bit before I go back to Silha. I don't know if there's any regulators in the room, so I don't know how much I can say. I'm just joking. No, I mean, I think you can't understate what the impact of the war in the last two years has done on investor confidence, on just a lot of, is it called capital flight? We felt it, right? You can't understate that. And we're hoping for peace because you cannot understate the effects of peace on, on doing business. And so I just have to put that out there. However, for me, I do business here. I live here. So luckily, there's not a need necessarily to transact in Forex. However, there are clients that I interact with that depend on services like Amazon cloud services or various services that they have to pay for on a monthly basis. And it's been really hard. I have to say there's been a Forex crunch for longer than the period of the war. I think for a lot of us who live here, it's, it's part of our reality of doing business. There are priority sectors such as the pharmaceutical sector, the coffee sector, but it's really part of doing business in Ethiopia is what do you do about the dollar issue? How do you take your money out? And I have to say, Ethiopians are very creative. We have a large diaspora. 
And so a lot of people in business depend on their family and friends to make some of these payments. You could have a family member building a home here or doing business here, and then they would make the credit card payments abroad. But of course, this is not really sustainable and not everyone has access to this. But those are some of the ways that the Forex issue has been uh, mitigated. And for a company now, the size of Safaricom, the movement of funds in and out of the country affects affects heavily. Uh, so I think uh, that's an area of concern. So I'll come back to you on that. But first, Silha, I was wondering, how would you value M-Pesa yourself? And also in terms of uh, a spin-off, how would that look like in terms of relationship with the parent company and the telcos that you've seen across the, the continent who have spun off their mobile money businesses? What valuation have they done it and what's the experience and in terms of relationship to the parent company? So perhaps I, I can start by attempting the question on spin-off. I think... That's a million dollar question. I think it would be any investment banker's dream to be part of this process when there's such a huge shift industry-wide trying to segregate mobile money from the telco business. It's a very exciting time in that case. I don't have a blueprint or an exact playbook, but we can see from what ETA is doing and what MTN is doing, there's different approaches to this. So just using Airtel Africa as a case study. First off, Airtel Africa as as a group that owns the 14 subsidiaries is the listed entity. And what they've done as recently as last year is buy out minority owners in MTN Nigeria, for example, so that automatically if you own Airtel Africa stock, then you own the Airtel money subsidiary called AMC. And so the approach they've taken is directly sell minority stakes in Airtel money subsidiary with the intention to list this as a separate business via IPO in three to four years. That's sort of a clean process because if you own Airtel Africa, then you get stock in Airtel money and then you'll be, you'll be able to IPO it and introduce new investors specifically for Airtel Money Africa. So that's really one way to go about it. And I can link that to valuation uh, because they sold these minority stakes at about eight and a half times. So a, a revenue um, multiple, which you can then apply to M-Pesa or MTN because they disclose their sales. So from a relative valuation perspective, you can try and apply that multiple and see where the valuation lies for M-Pesa or any other mobile money business. The other aspect or approach to spin-off is a headache. So for example, just using MTN as a business case, the challenge MTN group has, and it's not clear how they'll solve it, is that you have minority shareholders in almost all your subsidiaries. So MTN Ghana is a listed company. MTN Nigeria is listed on the Nigeria Stock Exchange. MTN Uganda is listed in Uganda. So how then will you consolidate shareholding under one MTN Momo company? I think that gets slightly more complicated in terms of consolidating the shareholding and perhaps listing that as a separate entity. And I can't say for sure how that will go. So coming down to Safaricom and Vodacom, the advantage they have 
it is that they have a separate legal entity, which is M-Pesa Africa, which they could use as a vehicle for the mobile money business and figure out how to consolidate shareholding. Vodacom is listed, Safaricom is listed, but they have 50-50% stake in M-Pesa Africa. So I think the approach is very di- different across uh, the three major telco players. But I think from management commentary and how the industry is trending, I think it's it's quite clear what the end game is in terms of being able to focus on a fintech business and separately focus on, on the traditional telco side of the sector as well. All right. I'll, I'll go to Willis a little bit. Willis, maybe in terms of coverage, let's say in a country the size of Ethiopia, I, I know there are a couple of places in Kenya where Safaricom itself network is unavailable. So the size of Ethiopia, what would it take to actually set up there and set up fully in such a way that people have a reliable network to use at the end of the day? Ethiopia, I can see that uh, the population of Ethiopia is more than uh, twice of Kenya. Ethiopia, they say the population of about uh, 112 million compared to Kenya of uh, 53. Now, for a size of Ethiopia, from the uh, briefing, the Safaricom have said they are targeting to have about uh, 10,000 sites in the next uh, 10 years which translates to about 1,000 sites per year. So for that one, I think uh, what uh, the strategy that we normally use is that you first of all start with the major towns, which are the highly populated ones. Those are the ones you start uh, covering. And then as years go by, you now start going deeper into the more remote, remote towns to get them. And then finally, you just make sure that you have a network that is uh, going to span end-to-end so that, for example, if I want to drive, let us say, from Addis to Soldo, coming towards the border of Kenya, I just have to ensure that uh, I'll be able to make calls seamlessly or to browse seamlessly, which is the advantage that uh, Safaricom did when they're in Kenya, in that they were able to start, first of all, they get a good foothold of the major towns, and then after getting major towns, they went into the smaller towns, and then ensure the smaller towns are connected to them, which made them seamless. That is why you find, like in Kenya, as much as uh, somebody may tell you that uh, Airtel and Telcom have a cheaper pricing in terms of their internet uh, browsing mobile data, but the person will come and ask you, where is the network? You see, that's the one advantage that, that they have a countrywide network. Now, coming to Ethiopia, the advantage that they're going to have is that they can leverage on the Kenyan uh, operation to be able to even uh, take debt and to do the financing of a countrywide rollout, which uh, for now the Ethiopian government is just uh, heavily reliant on the government of Ethiopia, guaranteeing some of the loans for them to do the rollout. So from the rollout, they say they are going, they are going to spend about close to five to eight billion dollars just to ensure that you have a network rollout and also to do some of the replacements once uh, some of the equipment and some of them get uh, faulty especially the access layer. The antennas that the end subscriber normally connects to. So the wear and tear is very high. All right. Lisa, a question for you would be, now that uh, DRC just joined the East African community, do you see Safaricom uh, exploring, maybe going there, or are there hands full presently with Ethiopia? Mwango, I can answer on that one. For DRC, right. it may not be possible for Safaricom to go because there is Vodacom there. There is Vodacom DRC. And they do not compete in markets, right? they cannot go into the same market. So probably for where maybe try and expand to probably Uganda, where there's no Vodacom and uh, Rwanda, and probably Burundi. But DRC, Vodacom is already covered that market. 
All right. All right, then. I think that's covered. I had a point to add earlier. This is something you'd asked about um, MPESA valuation, I think, what Sila answered. And we currently value the telco business and the financial services separately, which we've been doing since 2014. And over time, what we've learned is, of course, the M-Pesa business is what is valued most by the investor. And I remember before COVID, we had got to a point where we saw M-Pesa at around 15.4 shillings compared to the telco business coming at about 15.2. And we expected that to actually, where the M-Pesa business was going to continue having a higher valuation over time. So I guess also that's another aspect we can use when trying to figure what really would be the valuation of M-Pesa if you are to spin it off. And also on DRC, yes, what really said, Safaricom may not get into DRC, but I think there's some tech opportunities even for Kenya as a country, considering the resources in DRC, especially the minerals. And if you think in terms of the semiconductor factory that we've set up in Kenya, you can see then there could be some sort of synergy between Safaricom, DRC, Kenya sort of set up, maybe not directly for Safaricom, but the resources in DRC versus us setting up production capability to manufacture and use these resources. Thank you. Great. So we want to come back to Sila a little bit. Sila, how many more minutes do we have with you? About five minutes. Uh, we can't uh, loan you for longer. We can pay the other person to to keep going. We can do 10 minutes. All right. We'll right. come back to you then with a few questions. So at this juncture, I wanted to open up the floor a little. So if you have questions, you can just drop your question below the pinned tweet. But also you can see a couple of questions that are coming in. These are general questions, so anyone can pick and answer. So how easy will Safaricom find it to take root in Ethiopia? This is from Spacia Tech in terms of infrastructure and the right policy environment, because the 116 million population is nice, but if mobile phone penetration is low, then it means very little. So anyone can take that question. So I think he's asking a question about how difficult it is for Safaricom to get it right in terms of infrastructure and the right policy environment. And perhaps what I can add also about the loyalty that a lot of Ethiopians I see, is it possible for them to switch to Safaricom? in that sense. And then the other question he's asking is, how is the ongoing conflict in the Tigray region affecting Safaricom's plans? Anyone can take those questions? So I'll start just on the first question. The mobile penetration is high. It's the financial inclusion that's low. I just wanted to make a clarification uh, on your question. So how easy will Safaricom find it to take root in it? They paid close to a billion dollars for the license. So I think there's obviously a lot of government support. They put that money in the bank. The entity is actually called STEP and they are a consortium of five different companies, Vodacom, Vodafone, Safaricom Kenya, which owns 60%, and then CDC, which is now called the British Investment Group, and the Sumitobo Corporation from Japan. So they've brought in their best and their brightest. Mokaya, we actually took the Vodacom, a DRC CEO, to run Safaricom Ethiopia. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this means that the next thing is Ethiopia will get into the East Africa community, we're hoping. So the policy has been set because there was a tender. There was a bid for this last year. I believe came down to two companies that applied, which was MTN and this consortium. And Safaricom won. However, it has not been easy. I think it was Willis who earlier alluded to the fact that part of their entrance into this market, and I think it was also included in their bid, was for infrastructure sharing with Ethio Telecom. 
And I think they've had difficulties with that. But about two weeks ago, there was press releases that they finally had a bit of conversations moving forward. This past two days, we were at a conference here in Addis Ababa, the Innovation Africa Digital Summit. And it was really good to see speakers, both from Ethio Telecom and Safaricom. And Ethio Telecom was a lot warmer. In fact, it's a tweet that I, I uh, posted. And they did state that, we, uh, that we'll compete where we have to and we'll cooperate where we have to. And I think there's a realization that digital Ethiopia cannot be achieved by either party. They have to work together at some point. So I think that cooler heads are prevailing. So we're excited about that. The mobile penetration is high. The total subs are at about 60 million, so a little bit more than half the population. I do think, Mokaya, earlier, like you said, we, we were talking about the pride that Ethiopians have in Ethiopia and Ethiopian products, but I think people will be eager to get their Safaricom SIM cards. I have no doubt that Safaricom will come with attractive offers. Ethio Telecom has done a lot in the last, especially the last two years since COVID. Broadband has increased, especially during COVID. It's laid the ground to understand, to get familiar with the internet, broadband, mobile telephony. They've done a lot in that space. The second question is, how is the ongoing conflict in the Tigray region affect Safaricom going forward? From what we have been told by Safaricom, and since the war started, the telecommunications has been shut down in the Tigray region. So I think that is a political decision that will have to be made with the leaders. All right, let me get back to Silhan because he's going. Two quick questions for you, Silhan. One, did Safaricom overpay for the license in Ethiopia? And then secondly, under which regulation would MPESA fall when it splits on the telco? The Banking Act plus IFRS 9, and how will provisioning in MPESA be done? Thanks, thanks. Well, overpaying, I think, is a very subjective statement. So the cost of the license will only make sense relative to the returns you're able to generate on that capital. That still a relative unknown, in our opinion. It's still early days. I think this is a 10 plus year business opportunity. And so you will already be able to qualify that view once you have rollout and you're able to sort of evaluate the traction they make from a subscriber perspective, understand what kind of our pools they're able to extract from that market across the various sub services, but most importantly on mobile data and mobile money. And perhaps one multiple that you could sort of track to understand the license cost relative to returns is the cash return per dollar invested. So over time, you'll find that Safaricom has been very efficient in capital allocation. If you do that ratio of cash return per shilling invested, it's almost consistently been two times, getting up to three times in cash returns for every shilling they invest. So if they're able to deliver that kind of efficiency in Ethiopia, then the license cost is well worth it. If not, then you could start thinking about, did they overpay or not? But unfortunately, that would be in in hindsight. At this time, I just don't think it would be fair to judge them on the license cost without having visibility on the subsequent revenues and cash that they're able to generate. That would be my view on license fees. Regulation? On regulation. So it's interesting where fintech 
and mobile money is right now is sort of in the middle. You don't have a banking license, so you're not directly subjected to banking regulations. If you look at how Safaricom has structured the Impressive business so far, it's a platform model. And to offer financial services, you partner with licensed institutions. I can't say for sure if that strategy will change if they spin off the business, but if they continue operating as a platform provider, as opposed to a licensed bank institutions, that the question of capital and reserve ratios and loan loss provisions might not apply to M-Pesa even as a segregated entity operating independently. So that's how I think about it for now. There's been no clear direction that they'll go straight into a banking license. We have multiple examples of pure, pure fintech players that operate without uh, banking licenses. So it just depends on the long-term strategy that the management team has for Pesa Africa. If they want to sort of vertically integrate and go directly into the banking space, then they'll have to be valued on banking multiples and all the requisites they have under those regulations. Your closing thoughts, maybe, if, if you want to really think about this space of telecom, what are some of the resources that you'd recommend someone to read up on and your perspective maybe on Safaricom generally going forward and uh, across the continent also in terms of the mobile money and the telco space? Any interesting insights that you'd want to share as you leave us? In closing, perhaps just to say that it's well and good for us to sort of evaluate these businesses and understand the, the prospects that they might have. But I just think we need to own these companies. So m- my closing thoughts is that w- we need much more local investment in these businesses. It, we, we can see the trajectory. We can see the kind of returns they produce, but they're still predominantly foreign-owned companies. My thinking is that the more we understand these businesses and their prospects going forward, we should actually take take a more keen interest to be part of the shareholders for some of these companies as well. And that perhaps could provide some more stability to the stock prices or so yeah, that would be my thinking. No specific reading material I would recommend. There's a good good podcast on on fintech. I'll get the name and share, but it can really give us an idea of how such platforms evolve because in as much as Mpesa was very novel and first to market in Africa, fintech has really evolved across different markets and that could sort of provide a, a guide for an investor thinking about how these franchises will deliver returns over the next 10 years yeah so that would be it thank you so much for, for having me it's been a very insightful conversation thanks for coming Silha. always a pleasure hoping to have you again soon as we dissect other companies that you also analyze and uh, say pass our regards to the entire team at TFG will do thank you so much all right. Thank you. Bye. Uh, Karkida, now there's a question for you here on does the MPESA license in Ethiopia mean that Ethiopia is officially open to foreign financial institutions? I think the question is more writing on the perspective of there's been a, a perception in the past that Ethiopia is not open to foreign institutions. Has that changed also over time, maybe with coming in of Safaricom? 
That's a really good question. So technically, Safaricom Ethiopia is a local company. They have a 15-year license uh, to operate telecom services, and they are applying for a mobile money license. Your question says, does the M-Pesa license in Ethiopia mean that Ethiopia is officially open to foreign financial institutions? So I see M-Pesa as now being a part of Safaricom Ethiopia, and so that I would say no. But your guess is as good as mine right now. Um, I think this is the first time in our financial space in Ethiopia we're dealing with this magnitude of an entrant coming in. So I can only give a conjecture to say I do not think so, but we'll wait to see. A good response there. Let me check if there are more questions. Maybe, Willis, you could give us a little bit of perspective on 4G, 2G, 3G, 5G. What are these things and what exactly do they mean in terms of putting up infrastructure? Let me start 2G is the technology that we normally use for making your voice calls, sending your SMS, and your M-Pesa USSD. That is the 2G. Actually, 2G, you don't need the internet to be able to send, to communicate. So in 2G, there was the edge for data, but edge was very slow. So that's why it's normally not talked about. Then we went to 3G. 3G was the first technology for high-speed data. Then we came to 4G, which is for high-speed data. And then now we have 5G. Now, in the most of the telcos that I've been able to see, the ones that have adopted the 5G have been dropping off 3G because the issue comes about that uh, if I have 2G, 3G, 4G, and 5G, that's a lot of equipment, and also those antennas will be taken out of space on the tower. So most of the companies which have adopted 5G have been dropping off 3G. Now, the difference between all these Three technologies is on the speed at which you'll be able to access a, a web page or to send information using the internet. If you look at uh, 4G, 4G, I think sometimes when you're browsing on 4G, you can find it's nearly as equal as your fiber to the home speed. Of course, only the difference that it will consume a lot of data and probably your money, which you'll be looking at that time. So 5G is going to be much more faster and also with the 5G much being much more faster, you'll be able now to automate some of the very sensitive industries like uh, industrial control. Like let us say you are in the, you are in the port, you can be able to control the tractor that is able to lift containers and place it somewhere else. With 5G also, we also, we also seen them trying to do the driverless uh, driving where a car can be able to be guided because with, the, with those sensors that they put on the car, they require very fast response when they notice something to try and avoid an accident. Now, the, all these technologies have their cost implication. Of course, 3G, because it's now an outdated technology, is the cheapest to roll out. 4G is still there. Quite expensive as compared to 3G. Now, 5G, which is a newer technology, is also very expensive right now because the equipment manufacturers also want to recover their research and development costs. That's why the cost of 5G is quite high. Now, Ethiotel said they have launched their 5G but I'm yet to see if they've launched the pure 5G or what they call there's the pure 5G, which is called the standalone 5G. And there's also the non-standalone 5G. Non-standalone means you're going to be using your 4G infrastructure to run 5G. So at the end of the day, the, the end user might not be able to enjoy the true speed of the 5G. So we'd like to see whether it's 5G. Because I know the 5G, if they say they're going to roll out, it's going to cost them a lot of money. And a country as vast as Ethiopia will be to the north of 100 billion plus.
Thank you for that perspective. Uh, Lisa, do you have any perspective, maybe on the results yesterday, anything that's too doubt for you? I didn't ask you that question. I, I don't think I have anything different from what Sila mentioned. Basically, the Kenyan business is mature. It's very solid. The margins were quite impressive. If you look at the Kenyan business, for instance, the EBIT margin grew from 36.5% to 38.3%. That's quite impressive, especially for a core telco business. But of course, Ethiopia has wiped out part of the margin. And this is something we expected, that Ethiopia will be dilutive in the short to medium term because it's going to be very heavy cost, like a cost heavy with no revenue because also the revenue will take a while to come through. So for us, there was no surprise in the numbers per se, it's more confirming what we've held and that dividends will continue to be paid despite the heavy capex that we're going to see in both Kenya and Ethiopia. Though also what I'd like to say we'll be noticing over time and especially with, for instance, this mobile termination rate, the 87% decrease is Safaricom is going to continue facing a lot of regulatory and fiscal interference for quite a while especially as they're being seen as a dominant company. And that's something we're starting to see even more prevalent at the moment. It started with the dominance report, but now we're seeing, for instance, now mobile termination rate being reduced without the normal process, access duty being increased, and basically different avenues trying to charge Safaricom more money because they're the largest player in the market. So that's something that stood out for me as well. And do you think it's sustainable, though, because they're spending $100 billion in CAPEX in the coming year. Uh, the revenues for this year are around 250 to 300 So, like, if you're spending around $100 billion in, in CAPEX, is it sustainable, though, to keep paying the dividends? Or is this just that the government, who's a majority shareholder, needs those dividends? I think it is sustainable. If you look at Safaricom, I mean, what they've been spending in Kenya has been about $35 billion per year. If you add Ethiopia, it could come to a total of about $70 billion per year. And they've not been taking much debt. Like, literally, their net cash has been positive for a long time. So they actually have room for debt to even fund Ethiopia and still maintain a dividend payout. What could change is their actual absolute dividend. They can't promise they'll stick to 1.4 shillings per share but they can promise they'll keep paying about uh, somewhere between 75 to 80% of their earnings as dividend. But I think it's sustainable because they really have a very solid balance sheet if you add debt from them and then also being part of a consortium that's also funding Ethiopia and they're able to negotiate uh, favorable terms for debt. I think it's something they can, they can sustain pretty well. Right. Willis, there's a question here about if we take M-Pesa away, we are taking away Safaricom's mort, then wouldn't that expose it to stiffer competition in the other segments? Like it's been enjoying the fact that it provides you M-Pesa and then as value added on, it gives you the other services. So this is Willis and Ed Kalkida. If you look at it, I think from uh, what I've been observing and from the analysis, and from the analysis is that uh, this is something that at one time or another M-Pesa might hit a peak. What is the strategy they're trying to counter that? They are trying to counter that through doing, the, like, currently they are doing a very massive lot of the fiber to the home. They see the next uh, growth phase can be the fiber to the home. The revenues might get close to what they are getting for the voice. The other angle they are looking at it is that of late they have been putting so many offers on their mobile data. Because that is something that they are pretty forgotten a bit while they focus so much on M-Pesa. But as now M-Pesa is also facing a 
regulatory challenges and also that issue that you said that if somewhere along the way they might be forced to separate the MPESA. So even if MPESA is spin off, I think they've already put a mechanism to counter that, which I see is through revamping the mobile data and the fiber to the home and also the enterprise business where they're doing connectivity for companies and the corporates to connect with their one network and their internet subscriptions. Okay, could you please repeat your question? The question is about uh, if we take M-Pesa away, uh, do we have something mm -hmm. left I, with Safaricom? Is there a Safaricom? Oh, in the context of Ethiopia. Um, it's very different, obviously, in Kenya. But in Ethiopia, I think there's still a lot of work to be done. If your telecom has done a fantastic job in terms of laying down the infrastructure in the last, you know, however long they've been in, in business, especially in the last 10 years. However, that last mile, we need to do a lot of work with that. The connectivity needs to be improved. There's a lot you can do in different sectors, in agriculture, in in the health sectors, just by improving connectivity in itself. So I think in, in Ethiopia, there's still a lot to be done with just your voice, data, SMS services. And there's the rural areas. There's a lot of rural connectivity that still needs to happen. I think our agricultural sector in Ethiopia is, contributes the highest to our GDP and they need to be brought into the mobile sector. So I think there's still a lot that Safaricom, the telco side of the business can do. And that's what we expect. All right. There seems to be not many questions. We also hit around one and a half hours of our, our regular speaking time. At this point, then I would want to ask, especially in your professions as business person, kid and analyst, Lisa and Willis as more as an engineer, perhaps you can give your words of advice to people who are starting up in the field on how to position themselves for future success in the various fields. Uh, at the same time, you can also give us maybe your closing thoughts on Safaricom Ethiopia and generally about East Africa as a whole. We can start with Lisa. Thanks, Bokaya. So maybe I start with the Safaricom question, then we can go to getting into the analyst field. So basically on Safaricom, Ethiopia is almost necessary for them because we are at Kenya. Yes, there's opportunity, but we won't see the growth rates we saw when Impesa started. So we're excited with the opportunity, it may cost a bit initial years, but nothing good starts without some pain. But we really think it will eventually pan out for them. There's still opportunity for Safaricom in Kenya. And generally, when you look into investing in a stock in a company that is in terms of equities, we advise looking at it long term, not getting into it and always looking for a trading opportunity. So if you have to look at a company three years, five years and forth and so I guess if we all start looking at it that way, then we can see opportunities in some of these companies, especially now with Safaricom coming down and the fundamentals are very strong. It's an opportunity for most of us to get in. And if you're a client for Safaricom, then some of that money you pay comes back to you in dividends. So yes, I think there's a lot of opportunities. So let's get into these companies. Let's invest. But also let's look out for the regulatory side. It's, it's really starting to be a red flag quite a bit in Kenya. Well, if you want to get into my field, basically financial analysis, stock market analysis. First thing is interest. You've got to have a passion for capital markets, understanding how it all works. There's a lot of reading. So the interest, of course, and the passion ties to reading. It leads you to seek information, follow pages and websites and publications that write about these things, for instance, as well as following Mwango Capital. And then from there, then these opportunities to learn online, for instance, things like financial modeling. 
And when you get opportunities to get in, whether it's initially through internship or what, just take the opportunity because it's a job that you learn a lot more on the job than theoretical. Thank you. Are you there, Willis? Same questions in terms of like your general final comments on Safaricom and East Africa generally and the opportunities in Ethiopia. And also, if you want to give advice to someone, I know for you, you're unique in the sense of you're an engineer who's self-taught kind of uh, financial analysis and all. So you combine these two very remarkably through your handle and you're able like to give insights and perspectives on companies, which most people who perhaps come from just the pure finance background don't have. So perhaps you can share what's your trade secret in doing this and, and what actually motivates you to study finance when you could be an engineer and just chill. But advice, advice for people who are also outside the field of finance who want to understand finance. Okay, now let me start from uh, the, the first question, the first comment. For the East Africa region, I see there's a lot of opportunities uh, for Safaricom to grow, but the challenge will be there's the high inflation, there's the poor performing economy, which is going to hurt the disposable income for people to spend money on the Safaricom products. There's also the regulatory challenges. There is the if the Kenya shilling continues the currency weakenings. Is going to really affect them because of the forex process that they've been carrying when they are buying, uh, especially the telecommunication equipment, because you buy them at a, you buy, the price changes when you are buying them, but it becomes difficult for you to transfer the increase in cost to your subscriber because of fear that they may not uh, be able to consume. The, the only one that they can be able to hedge against probably is the uh, voice and the data because those ones are considered as necessities. But when it comes to things like mobile money, like MPS and uh, the fiber to the home, those ones are very price sensitive because the uh, people will have alternatives. Coming to Ethiopia, Ethiopia will be, it will give Safaricom a dent for, for the next like two to three years because of the heavy capex that is going to be involved. But once uh, they are done with that heavy capex and things start uh, taking shape, the profits we are going to be getting from there will be quite, uh, they'll be giving them a, a, a boost. I see in the range of something like 20, I foresee Ethiopia will be able to make profits even in the range of uh, 20 billion. The subscriber acquisition will be faster because uh, the big population of Ethiopia and also customers wanting to have an alternative in case uh, one line is down. Probably there's an issue with Ethiopia and they want to use the, and they have to make an The same case that we have in Kenya whereby Airtel has a significant number of subscribers. I think right now it's more than 20 million. And you'll find that most of the Airtel subscribers have two lines. One Safaricom, one Airtel, just in case that one line is not working or one line is dedicated, for example, Airtel is dedicated for making calls and browsing. Safaricom is for M-Pesa. And when you want to make that uh, important call where you find the Airtel network will not give you the quality that you want. Now, coming to my field is that... uh, Yes, I'm an engineer. I've uh, been in the telco industry for quite a while. Now, the reason why I also wanted to study finance is because uh, in this industry, especially if you're working in a corporate world, you need to understand how things move because uh, some of the decisions uh, have financial implications. I've been in those roles whereby you have been told, yes, we understand that you know those things, but look at it from the financial side. If I put my money on this uh, product or this technology, am I going to make any return on this or I'll just be putting money down the drain? So that is what uh, also motivated me to also try and get to understand these issues of finance because uh, you might be in a position whereby you have to make 
yes, you're making a technological decision, but it has to have some financial backing on it. Also, you need to understand these issues of uh, finance because uh, sometimes it's good to know where you are, how things are, especially in the financial aspect, so that you may not be caught off guard when things start going south. You need to make the appropriate uh, moves before it becomes uh, too late. So that's why some of the issues that uh, motivated me to also know finance or to also know some of the ratios of these uh, firms, as much as I know the engineering aspect of it. And where did you start, by the way, with your like studying finance? Okay, my study in finance started when uh, that time I was still in campus and uh, I was really much interested in buying uh, shares of company in the Nairobi Stock Exchange. So now to get a better understanding of those companies, sometimes I would uh, take the annual report book and uh, go through it and try to understand some of those uh, technicalities that were there. Things which I do not understand, I used to go and look for friends who had studied uh, accounting and finance to explain uh, to me what it means. The other thing is that, uh, apart from that, is uh, sometimes when you are buying these uh, companies when they're doing the IPO, there's that document that used to be called the prospectus. Now, the prospectus is what is going to tell whether whether where you're going to put your money is worth an investment or not. So to understand the prospectus, you have to have some financial backup. That's why I used to now take an interest and find the finances. And the other aspect of how I learned about finance was uh, watching business news in uh, both the local channels and the international channels, especially the international channels where... If you've been a fan of Bloomberg, especially when they're dealing with these fast-moving consumer good companies, they always emphasize something called cash flow and the debt level. So when they talk on debt level, it now makes you move beyond knowing what is profit, what is loss. You say, okay, the company might make a profit, but why isn't it paying a pro? Why is it paying a dividend? Probably they can't pay dividend because their cash flow is not good. That's looking at issues of debt equity levels. When it comes to banks, there are those ratios, statutory ratios that you need to look at. Yeah. It's impressive, though. I should say, since the first time we set up Mwango, I think you're one of the first few followers. And we've been engaging ever since. I think it's been one and a half years. So it's remarkable yes. the, the kind of insights you're able to share. And I didn't know that you're actually an engineer. I thought you were a finance bred through and through. So really... Actually, actually, so many people have been telling me that I told them I'm also an engineer. But uh, if we have a sit down and discuss some of those engineering te- technicalities, I can be able to explain to you. I would highly okay, recommend people to follow you uh, because of the insights. I'll, I'll be back to Lisa a little bit. Lisa, there's something you forgot to answer, and then we finally we'll go to Calcutta. Thanks, Bukai. Sorry, I think I skipped your question on what opportunities I am there for Safaricom and in East Africa. So for Safaricom, we find we have a lot of opportunity in terms of partnership and looking at their current model where it's about you getting glued and almost loyal, like you can't leave Safaricom or M-Pesa, the financial services. So they're pushing a lot in terms of partnerships. Also, if you look at the M-Pesa, both the super app and the enterprise app, the point is to load most services that you will need and products in one place to the point that you're always on their platform and then to partner with as many people as possible. So instead of launching grant projects or grant products and services, you partner with many people getting a share of the revenue from it. You sort of, you can think in terms of maybe like the WeChat in China or like Alipay and financial services. So we're seeing they're going to also bring the wealth management services, insurance and many others, internet of things, cloud storage and all that. So definitely there's a lot of opportunity in that area and especially in this country and most of Africa, which we're so far from our usage of especially our mobile devices to the maximum. So that's opportunity for Safaricom. And also they can pull off the same in 
Ethiopia, so I think Al-Qaeda will speak more on that. Where I think there's opportunity across all their service lines, voice and data and mobile money. Thank you. One question maybe for you, Lisa. Uh, do you see them having a challenge with uh, the current big tech coming in in terms of have you had anything on the ground in terms of them having issues with the retention of uh, employees or has big tech come uh, and compete for the same talent? That's a good question. Actually, big tech is a threat not just on the talent bit. Our initial worry was actually as payments go global. Eh? When you have your WhatsApp pay, your Facebook pay, do you need to use M-Pesa Global? anymore that's one of the threats we've seen in terms of talent the truth is when you look at tech talent is not geographical anymore um so in the same threat that safaricom would face where they would lose talent it's the same way they can also easily hire talent from more developed companies and more developed economies so i feel like it plays out both ways so it's more about um, their retention policy and what they do to keep their employees Right. Finally, Kalkidan, I wanted to come back to you now and you tell us a little bit about maybe your closing thoughts on Safaricom and you should officially, perhaps as a spaces, welcome Safaricom to Ethiopia. So I think there's definitely a huge excitement for me personally and a lot of my peers in this sector. We're really excited about the endless possibilities and just to mention a few, I think the knowledge transfer is a huge one. Ultimately, I think right now, Safaricom Ethiopia has hired about 400 staff and 200 are from the different companies that the consortium represents and the other 200 are from Ethiopia. They're hiring Ethiopians and as the company grows, they have to hire more Ethiopians and we're just excited about what this will mean for the economy, what this will mean for knowledge transfer, the number of jobs that services like M-Pesa will spur both directly and indirectly. And then another big one, of course, is the influence on the policy. Because like I said earlier, it's businesses that push government to sort of open up once they're able to create a good use case. I also really appreciate how Ethio Telecom has grown rapidly um, and has really realized the value of us consumers on the ground. There's been a lot of reduction on some of the the costs of broadband internet, of of internet. And, you know, so competition is great. We ultimately, we benefit. The Ethiopian public benefits and, and the Ethiopian public deserve the best in order to compete on a global scale. We deserve the best network connectivity. I think even just looking at our place in the region, I can't imagine the possibilities that there will be once M-Pesa, once M-Pesa gets its license here in Ethiopia, and if the financial space is open, I can't imagine what this will do for cross-border um, remittance on the countries where M-Pesa is present in Africa, what this will do for the um, AFTA, and just generally for the continent. We're really excited. I could go on and on about the possibilities. Uh, seems like we lost her. She did warn of some connectivity challenges. As we wait for her, we list on the same question of talent. What's your perspective in terms of as big tech comes around, Do you are you seeing moves towards away maybe from companies like Safaricom towards big tech? Well, the talent was, right now, there's been talk that some of the employees have been poached by Google and Microsoft to us of operations in Kenya. Over time, but whether it's because uh, as much as this talent is going to Google and Safaricom, they'll be able now to poach uh, the other talent, especially I've heard the rumors that they are now poaching from the banks 
because some of the banks are not able to pay and give employee benefits as compared to Safaricom. Though, though they'll feel a pinch because there's a limit to how far they can go because Ethiopian operation is going to destabilize them a bit on the, in terms of finances because of the heavy capital expenditure that would be needed there and the, the fact that the Kenyan operation will have to shoulder some of the burden. So on the talent wars, they're going to get a bit of the pinch. But uh, on the big tech war that is currently taking place, Safaricom has not delved so much into it because most of their staff are still on the GSM and the infrastructure business, which they are able to ring fence. The talent world that they are facing is mostly on the IoTs, which they are trying to really grow it, which is where Microsoft and Google are hitting them because they have deeper pockets. All right, Talkida is back now, the second part of the question. Okay, okay, yeah. So we're really excited about better connectivity coming. Now, I was just saying, if anyone is interested in getting into the space, getting to the value-added services space and working with telcos, this is such a great time. I think Lisa mentioned that one of the things Safaricom does well is work with partners. So in almost every unit, they're always uh, putting out expression of interest. So I always encourage people who have any experience in the expression of interest to apply for them. And it's a range of services from infrastructure partners to service partners to food catering. So I think it's a really great time to be an entrepreneur in Ethiopia. My advice to play in this space, especially in Ethiopia, it takes a lot of optimism. We've been around for five years, a lot more active in the last three years. You have to play for the long term. It's essential to do that and yeah, keep the faith up. I think if, if we didn't, I would not be on this spaces. So I'm really delighted to be the first Ethiopian on Mongo Spaces. Thank you, Mokaya. Uh, welcome. Uh, a quick question, maybe before you call us. Also, uh, what are the areas of opportunity for uh, someone coming from Kenya? Since you moved from Kenya, uh, what are the areas of opportunity for foreigners who want to move there? And how is life like there for expatriates? What I said earlier is my company actually does advisory services on this. <laughs> but since I'm here, I think one of the appealing things about Ethiopia is the weather. I think there's really good weather. I've come to appreciate the weather here. And then, of course, a lot Better of than people... Nairobi? You know, I, I used to think Nairobi had the best weather. Now we're, we're at par, I think Addis is even better. And there's uh, fantastic parks to run. If you're a runner, I'm not going to talk about running where there's a lot of Kenyans, but uh, it's a great place to train. And in terms of businesses, to be honest with you, I can't tell you a business that is oversaturated. I think you can come here and there's so much to do in this market. I, I have some of my friends who work at Safaricom Ethiopia from Kenya who moved here, who are are like, you know, we're not leaving Ethiopia. There's so much to do. They want to get into other spaces. So I, I would be here until tomorrow if I was to list what opportunities there are. If you're in this space, in the telecom space, I would encourage you to just look at both the LinkedIn page of Safaricom Ethiopia. They're always posting expression of interests. And then if, if you're telecom, also on their website, I believe under their uh, vast section or their... The tender section, they're always posting opportunities. Another thing that I did not mention is for the first time in my life, a lot of banks are reaching out to us and are really eager to up their game in the digital space because they're realizing that the brick and mortar way of doing business is not going to be beneficial because of Sasa coming in. 
And it's a really exciting time. I never thought I would get a, a call from, from any banks in Ethiopia, but they're also realizing that they have to be more customer-centric, uh, customer-focused. So that's also another sector that I think there's opportunity. Great. I think we'll definitely have spaces soon on Ethiopia and exploring some of the opportunities there. So thank you so much, all the guests for coming. Thank you in absentia Silva, who was here. Lisa also, first time on spaces. I really appreciate Willis too. We've been engaging and I think this is the first time when you actually had our spaces and communicated and talked actually on voice because mostly we use a lot of text and also just exchanging notes on Twitter. Uh, Kakidan, I just met you today, recommended by a friend and uh, really nice that you could join us. I know you're a fluent Swahili speaker, so Karibu Nairobi again soon when you get tired of Ethiopia. And all right. you're all welcome as well. All right. Thank you so much, all of you guys. Make sure you look out for our weekend uh, business memes. So where we wrap up the uh, highlights of the week's business news in meme. And then on Monday, we'll have uh, our, our newsletter that compiles the best business news of the week. Uh, so look out for those and keep locked to our account. We will always be for, um, posting analysis and various uh, aspects you're learning from various places. And uh, you can always DM us if you need uh, clarification on some of the, the thoughts that we put out.